Hi, and welcome to the Winning Parenting Podcast. Today, I'm excited to explore how kids learn and what solutions we have for some of the challenges they may have in this area. I come from a family of educators. My mom was an elementary school teacher for over 30 years. My sister currently teaches special education at the high school level, and I was actually a part-time professor at a major university for a number of years. What I have observed, researched, and learned is that most public schools cater to the average student. The goal is to get as many students through the system with passing grades so that they can get rated higher as compared to other schools, and that in turn provides higher real estate values, which in turn provides more funding. It's a never-ending cycle. But as we know, not everyone's the average student, so those who need extra support often get left out or behind. And this is especially true for students with special needs like ADHD or dyslexia or executive functioning problems, or those who just learn differently and aren't just about memorizing their textbooks. And over the last couple of years, the advancement of social media and what happened with COVID has only exacerbated the situation. So what choices do parents have? Well, they can send their children to private school where they get more attention. They can certainly homeschool or they can get extra help from experts. One of these experts is Christine Powell. She's the director and lead therapist at a company called Learning by Connecting. And she specializes in working with students with ADD, ADHD, test anxiety, specific learning disorders, and even executive functioning disorders, something that is a real need in our marketplace and to help parents with their kids nowadays. So I'm excited to speak to Christine. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Okay. So first, I just want to ask you, um, do you agree with my observations about the public schools and do you have any commentary relating to that? You know what, Andy, I agree. <laughs> As a veteran, 19-year special educator who, who's taught K through college, um, public schools, I've always been a proponent of public schools. My own kids went through uh, public schools up until COVID. And private schools and home schools and even charter schools were able to um, very quickly pivot to really help their village or community. Public schools are so wide and vast in the the number and variables of issues that they're working with at any one time. And they were, it was slow to pivot for the ones that I knew of within California and across the country in order to access Wi-Fi, in order to get computers in students' hands, in order to make sure that students' needs were all being met with food, and then we have the social isolation. So, yes, I agree with you. In public schools, they didn't, they weren't meeting the needs of all the students that were in there, especially the needs of students with special education needs. Great. Um, appreciate you lending some clarification because you have certainly more firsthand knowledge and observation than I even do. Um, so thank you for that. So for those who don't know you, Obviously, many of the listeners don't, and uh, I'm happy to get them to know you. Just tell us a little bit about your background and then what led you to start learning by connecting. 
Sure. For, well, for those who I have not met yet, um, my name is Christine Powell, and I'm a mom first. I'm a mom of two beautiful kids, um, one of which has ADHD, and that's been kind of my calling to help my my own child. And at the same time, I was going through school getting a, a master's in special education. My undergrad is in sports medicine. And my own child was diagnosed around age five, but I knew that he ran like a motor all the time. And in going to school, I was learning these strategies to help students with special education needs, specifically ADHD. And um, I, I felt like an imposter in my own classroom at school. I'm like, how do I help kids with ADHD when my own son is having challenges at home? And that that really was the catalyst of a deep dive into learning strategies and supports and going back to school and really focusing on um, behavioral disorders, which unfortunately ADHD is classified under. Um, going back to school again and getting a doctorate degree in education, um, going overseas and working with the Ministry of Education in Singapore as a Fulbright to learn more about uh, how to work with students with special education needs. So it's been a lifelong journey um, that initially started with helping my own family, but that blossomed into helping my students at school and subsequently opening my own practice, Learning by Connecting Education Therapy, where now I I'm able to really focus on students that I know I can help and serve. So before as a teacher, you're often given a class of, you know, 15 to 20 students if um, you have a class of students with special education needs. Um, and they all are so different that I feel like I just touched the surface for so many years of being able to help kids. I did my best, but oftentimes there were things that I just didn't have um, knowledge of, I didn't have access to, that I was not able to fully support them. And the transition happened about three years ago where I started um, my private practice during COVID. And the, the light bulb goes off so often with the kids that I work with now one-on-one. -on -one. And it has truly become my life's work. And I feel at this point in time that everything before that was just the culmination up to this point. So in a nutshell, there you go. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. It, it sounds like it's a it's a great story where you had the experience in the background really to bring this to people at, at, at the right time where it was really needed. And you can do it virtually you do it virtually exclusively or in in person as well? Um, it started initially virtually, right? Because everybody was online and I was helping kids go through their school portals. I was looking for missing assignments. I was looking for what teachers give feedback, what teachers weren't grading, why a child was confused about a specific course. And I really connected with kids. I wasn't that type of teacher that thought that I would ever advocate for online work. But just like you and I, um, we're Zooming right now and we're looking at each other. That's the, that's the atmosphere that I have with a child. We enter our own space that I'm meeting students where they're at. Most students now, Andy, are online at some point in time during their day and they feel very comfortable with it. It is the way of the future right? We're fortunate enough that we're able to connect online. And as you shared, you work with clients all over the world. I work with students, whether it's in their, you know, their living room at their desk or in their, uh, their study at their desk, you know, for college students or a 
middle or high school students in their room at their desk. I'm meeting them where they're at. And so meeting online has become a vehicle for me to really understand how kids learn best by, again, setting a time and place that they feel comfortable, digging into their school portals, finding out what they're being assigned, um, what teachers are their favorites, what subjects are their favorites, how they learn best, and then providing them with the tools and some of the strategies so they can you know, gain confidence in their own learning ability. Fantastic. So I'm sure some of our listeners are really eager to understand what a program looks like. So can you describe how specifically you help those students whose needs aren't being met by the public schools? Sure. So typically if, um, a parent will reach out to me. They've seen me on, you know, they've seen uh, my my web page or they've been referred um, through a doctor, school psychologist or a family friend. And I talk with the parents first um, and the parent will pretty much give me the feedback that they've gotten from teachers testing results, their child is having difficulty focusing, maybe behavior issues, failing grades, the list goes on. And we meet with the parent and the student for four sessions. Well, not all together. For the first session, it's the parent and the student. I want the student to understand how the parent is articulating the problem. And then after the parent has shared a little bit about what they're experiencing, I excuse the parent and then I work with the child and I was like, well, what really is happening here, right? What is the skinny on this? Do you not like school? If so, why not? Um, is it a communication challenge? Is it an academic challenge, a learning challenge? So I start to dig a little bit beneath the surface. And I can do that with the backdrop of academics because students, under you know, they understand that they're supposed to go to school and learn. But not all students understand what that looks like or how to actualize that. So in the remaining sessions, through four sessions, um, we bring back the parent on the fourth session and we discuss some of the strategies that we've uncovered, some of the strengths, some of the challenges, and again, the plan moving forward. Oftentimes parents will say, we wanna continue working with you because our son, daughter are doing very well in school now, they're gaining confidence. Maybe a few more times working with you will be the secret sauce. And I've had the, um, just the fortune of working with kids that have actualized into going to UCLA on full rides or, you know, graduating with honors. And with some kids, it's walking across the stage, you know, and getting that diploma. For each student, it's a little different, but I'm, I'm pleased that I've been able to just be a little part in their academic success and helping them discover who they are and, you know, maybe what they want to do in the future. Sounds like more than just a little part. It sounds like you're a big part. You're helping them, well, make the, helping them make the adjustments, but obviously they have to be willing to do the work, right? Well, Andy, that's why the parent, that's why the first initial visit is really important. I query the parent, like, why is the student here? Under duress or do they really know that they have a challenge and they're seeking help? And once I get student buy-in that, yes, they think that I possibly can help them, then the sky's the limit. Um, I can really drill down on some some strategies and help them. Um, executive functioning, for your listeners who might not understand what that looks like, executive functioning is how we organize, plan, goal set, and actualize those goals. 
Um, it also has to do with our behavior, how we bite our tongue in situations where um, maybe we shouldn't say something. Um, so that's called um, response inhibition. And also working memory, how we learn and how we pull things from the back of our mind to the front of our mind. Now that all seemed pretty complicated, but if I put it in the context of a CEO of a company, a CEO of a company has to do all these things. And the CEO of our brain is in our cerebral cortex, which is in the front of our brain. And for your listeners, in a brain that doesn't fully develop until about the age 25 or 26 years of age. So it, it's a, it takes a while. And during school is when, when the child's in school, that is when the neurons in our brain are connecting at a rapid rate and probably one of the best times to actually seek help and get a professional to, to take a deep dive into what that looks like for your child. Right. Um, you're so on point. My oldest daughter, who's now 28, has ADHD. And she went to private schools and and now is uh, she still lives at home and is working her way to get back out after COVID uh, and does work and uh, is a good kid. Um, but we learned pretty early on that if you gave her instructions that were more than two or three steps or had a list of more than two to three things, it overwhelmed her because even the, because of her executive functioning. So she needed it to be chunked down in order for it to be understandable and manageable based upon the way her brain functioned, you know, and now she's 28 and just knows that if somebody gives her a list of 10 things to do verbally or even written down, she needs to say, you know what, I, can you help me break it down a little bit more? Because this is the way I can understand it best. And uh, that made a big difference for her. Well, first of all, congrats for your daughter for asking for help. That is the first line right there. Um, most students won't. They retreat and because of ego and just not wanting to disappoint their parents. Or they lash out. Yeah, it, we see behaviors as well. Absolutely. And also bringing in a professional it takes the families, it, ta it takes that responsibility and lets the parents be parents, right? And love their kids and not be like, get on your homework. Have, what have you done? Have you finished? You know, why haven't you done this? I'm the coach. I, I take some of that heat and I'm able to, you know, put the positive and negative reinforcement and allow the parent to be a parent. One thing I do do that it may be a little different from other executive functioning um, coaches and, um, you know, education therapists is after a session with a child, I'll text them, but the parent is on the text link. So the parent is able to see our summary of the session, some of the feedback, whether, you know, you have a test this Thursday, this is how you outline for your plan to study. Um, I'll send a reminder text the day before, you know, have you done your checklist? Have you studied? So the parent is in that loop of communication and can ask on the side, hey, you know, how did you do on that test? Oftentimes parents don't even know. They're just out of the communication loop. And I try to, oftentimes the parents don't even comment on the conversation that's happening between the student and myself, but they know what is going on, which is really helpful. I think transparency is important. 100%. Uh, so in my parent coaching business, um, one of the things that's important is making adjustments and doing things to make sure that it sticks. You know, if you try an approach and it's one session, chances are it's not going to land exactly as you rehearsed. 
just because that's the way life is. So you make some adjustments and then you learn how to make sure that it, it sticks like a, you know, rather than it being like a diet that you fall off of all the time. Mm -hmm. So, and that takes some, some practice and reinforcement over time in the sessions that I provide to make sure that it, that I work myself out of a job. How do you enforce sessions given a kid maybe in public school is being taught a different way? How do you get it? How do you get it in a, in, in, in such a short duration or a short number of sessions to be able to land and be, and allow the student to be able to flourish? I think with four sessions, I'm able to get a pretty good idea of the child's learning style or the learning preferences. Um, the students I work with typically have unique learning profiles. So maybe they have dyslexia or um, dysgraphia, ADHD, whatever that looks like. And really helping the child understand how they learn best is oftentimes a game changer. If they understand that they're more of a visual learner or a kinesthetic learner, and then helping them advocate for themselves in that respect. I also teach how to email parents, I mean, how to email teachers in our sessions together for feedback. So to answer your question, I look at their assignments, I look at their teachers, I look at how they're graded, right, because I can jump into their school portals with them. I understand the rigor that's associated with the classes just because of my background in education. And then because of my background in special education and learning challenges, I'm able to kind of understand what challenges they would have in those specific classes. And then whether it, I give the, you know, the recommendation to the student, you need to check in with your teacher every Monday, right? You need to email your teacher. We come up with a plan that the student then can carry forward. You're right, Andy. Some students, it sticks right away. And they're like, wow, I just needed to understand how to work the plan. First, I needed the plan, and then I had to understand how to work it. Other students need a little bit longer time, depending on their level of challenge or their area of difficulty. And that's where the subsequent sessions come in. But oftentimes, it's those reminders, whether it's putting it in your phone, whether it's having a calendar reminder. It's different things for different students. But at the end of the day, oftentimes, students won't even take the step forward because they don't they're scared of the unknown or what that even looks like so appreciate that clarification well done um the discussion we've had assumes that the kids struggles are in isolation meaning they have difficulty learning in one way shape or form or functioning in one way shape or form but there are times where they have social anxiety at school. Their, their parents are, are separated or divorced and they're stuck in the middle of it. They have drug or alcohol issues or something like that that's contributing to their lack of being able to function at school. How do you understand and incorporate that? Because it's not just, hey, little Johnny just isn't reading up to you know, his level and we need to figure out how he does that because other things could be impacting his world? Really great question. Oftentimes, I don't know a whole lot that goes on below the surface, Andy. I, When I meet a, a child with a parent, oftentimes I ask the parent, does the child have an IEP? Is there psychoed um, 
paperwork or documents that would inform me of this student? What about any medical um, records that you can send that would also inform me of the child's challenges? And parent narratives, like when a child, when a parent calls me and we have a, a, a quick chat on the phone about what they're experiencing, oftentimes they will enlighten me about some of the challenges that they're having as a family that they think that are having a impact on their their child. So that's how I glean information from, you know, a host of different, um, different areas. My area of expertise is really helping the student in the academic realm. So if we understand that if a child goes to school every single day, that is something that happens with fidelity, right? They're supposed to be going to school, they're supposed to be learning. I teach them how to understand and how to plan and regulate for their academic learning. I believe that your expertise comes in in helping the family understand what those impacts are outside of school and helping them modulate them in conjunction to school. So correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I, I, and I think by you being curious and having the parents share the other things, at least you're aware of it so you can do your part and recognize some of the stresses and pressures that the kid may have absent just not being able to read as fast or take in information as fast so that you at least have an understanding of it and then let other experts do their part as well. Uh, Andy, whenever, for 19 years, kind of my understanding of students when they showed up in my class were, you were much bigger than this class. I get you for a specific amount of time and, you know, I will try to teach you to the best of my knowledge and ability. But I know that you come from, you know, outside of school, you have your friends, you have your community, whether you're in a church or what your challenges are with your family. Um, there's so much more to a child, a holistic view of a child. And I think stepping back from the classroom and being a private practitioner, I understand that even better now, that there's so many um, just challenges that students go through um, and they have to show up in an academic environment. And as teachers, we need to be compassionate to that, that, you know, students show up as a full individual, a full human and, you know, focus, concentrate. Why didn't you get your work done? You're not reading right, right? Um, that's not helpful, but digging below the surface and kind of understanding that, uh, they're humans, which are complicated beings. Excellent. So just tell us about what makes a good candidate for your service. Um, if you have one program or different types of programs and what the associated costs are with the programs. Sure. Well, as I mentioned before, we have a, a four session right now. Um, I myself work with the students. I have two other therapists that I work with in conjunction with, and we kind of brainstorm. So um, it's each independent. I'm not covered by insurance. And in fact, the need is so great that if you want to get your child in fast, like there's a waiting line. Um, students, I fourth grade through college, I've been seeing for academic support. And it's typically the four sessions initially at 170 per session. And then after that, 
after we have our get together with the parent and student, um, again, parents can choose to do subsequent sessions at the same cost per session. And we agree at that point in time that we will continue the sessions in, until the student has graduated or you know shown progress or something happens within the student's life that they want to take a break from sessions. So I don't have any unique packages or things along those lines. I talk with parents individually about our therapy sessions moving forward and it's been working now for multiple years. And again, I have a wait list. So something is going right, Andy. I guess so. Well, probably the need in the marketplace, as well as the quality of the work that you do. Um, so as we're about to wrap up, I'd like to ask you, are there certain things relating to parenting or relating to parents in this audience that you would like to share about um either your platform or um, or about things that they should look for when their kids are struggling in school? Sure. Um, th this would be a whole nother podcast, Andy, but um, for students that are <clears throat> struggling with executive functioning, I want parents to know that these skills, they're not born with these skills, but they can develop these skills and learn these skills. We weren't born with our ability to plan. We weren't born with our ability to organize. And it's through modeling parent modeling, teacher modeling, that parent, that students actually get this information and understand how to plan, organize, time manage, all these executive functions. Parents, I would suggest that first you get a calendar. You get a hard copy calendar and place it somewhere in the hub of your house and you plan with your family. So right now we have the holidays coming up sitting down with your family and kind of highlighting what that vacation looks like, when students get out of school, when they're going to go back, and any plans or opportunities that they can be together, celebrate the holidays as a family, put it on your calendar. You're making time visible. And it seems like such a small thing, but they carry these skills back into the classroom when they have to plan for a test or when they have a large assignment going on. The other thing, I would ask your listeners to see if their children know how to tell time with an analog watch or a clock. The ones with the hands. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 at our age, we, we assume that that's a given, just like cursive. <laughs> and frankly, that's not, you know, that's not uh, common, it's common nowadays. You're right. For sure. But understanding, Andy, when we went to school, we would look at the clock on the wall and be like, oh, we have five minutes left. And that five minutes would almost seem like an hour in our head, right, of a really boring class. <clears throat> Nowadays, kids don't have that visual reminder. It's just a ticking of a clock, like a digital clock where the minutes just kind of add up over time. It's not contextualized. It's not concrete. So helping any child understand what the passage of time looks like in a concrete way. And that's what those hands do on a clock, right? They show us that time is moving, um, will really help cement time management in your child. So I challenge your listeners to try that. That's awesome. It reminds me of, um, you know, helping your kids with a skill and helping them to plan and learning how to plan better is 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 a life skill that you'll you know people will use throughout their lives and i had a i had a client who's who um had kids with learning challenges 
and they were going on vacation together and they were nervous about the kid's behavior on vacation. And as many people maybe depending upon their kids and what they're doing. Um, and so I recommended to this parent, give them the wheel, meaning, you know, if there's certain things to be planned on the trip, make them a part of the planning and responsible for, you know, making sure that they get there on time and doing all those things so that they're actually engaged as opposed to just being pulled along the whole time where they're more resistant and don't want to do the activity. They get to choose some of the activities and they actually get to lead it as if they were, you know, had ex a higher executive functioning and therefore learned from it. And it was very successful. Um, you know, just flipping the script, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 100%, Andy. Not only did you have time management in there because they had to plan, right, how to get someplace on time. So they had to back map how long it would take them to get ready. But engaging in executive functioning and letting the kids plan and manage it really, again, puts the wheel in their hands and you're practicing because those are skills that if they become, you know, executives in their future, whatever they choose to do, there's going to be some element of planning and time management in the future, too. So great idea. Great. Well, I encourage people to re reach out to Christine if they have any questions or want to find out more about her programs. Obviously, she's in demand and there's a waiting list. So if you have an interest at all, don't wait and don't hesitate. Um, Christine, can you share the best place uh, for, for people to find out more about you or reach out to you? Sure. I'm, uh, my website is learningbyconnecting.com. It's all one word. Um, I'm also in psychology today, um, Dr. Christine Powell on YouTube or Learning by Connecting on all the social media, whether that's uh, um, Twitter or Facebook or um, what's the other, Instagram. So there you go. Very good. Well, thank you for your time today, Christine. I'm sure the parents have gotten a lot out of this and I've certainly learned a bunch too. So uh, you have a great day and, uh, and um, look forward to continuing to dialogue with you and find ways to work together. Absolutely, Andy. Let's keep in touch. Hi, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you're enjoying Winning Parenting. And it's not only enjoyable, but inspirational and educational for you. If you like this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you were able to post a positive review on whatever podcast app you use. That enables us to reach more listeners who can benefit and enjoy. Also, if you have people you think would benefit from it, I'd really appreciate it, and I know they would if you would share it with them. If you have any topics that are of interest to you, feel free to email me at andy at parentsjourneycoaching.net. Similarly, if you have an interest in any of my parent coaching services, feel free, again, at andy at parentsjourneycoaching.net. Thank you.